He does, John doesn't know that. But you, if you know it, double eight, double three, uh, send your answer through, and you're in the draw to win that $100 Adidas golf voucher, thanks to Adidas Golf. But, uh, yeah, let's welcome into the studio now John Harvin. Uh, mate, thanks very much for coming into the studio. What, what brings you to New Zealand? Um, well, I, I coach over in Australia, and a lot of the boys uh, play for Waitara Bears, and I had to come over and see a mate, and they said, make sure you go out there and have a look at their club. And so Tony... Uh, uh, sort of welcome me to the club on the Friday night, which I had quite a few beers, and again for the dinner on the Saturday night. So, and it was it's a great club, great people. As somebody who works in high performance, you know the importance of being hydrated, John. Well, yeah, don't bring it up now. <laughs> <laughs> now, mate, the I just sorry, Rick, Rick Dog. I just I'll just say, mate, the um, the connection. This goes back like twenty odd years, isn't it? When me and you were at Wakefield, we were coaching together. Mm-hmm. Um, going through that, I was a young coach, and you'd you'd been over there. Your son, had, uh, Lionel, had been playing over there at Wakefield. Um, just take us a little bit about how you ended up in the UK. Well, I always I was born there, so I always wanted to go back. You know, like you, you want to go back to your roots. And uh, there was a job advertised coach of Hemel Hempstead, and the, the, the article was in the Rugby League Week, the Australian Rugby League Week, the old one, yeah. And uh, they had big photos of their new grandstand and what they were building and their plans for the future. So I applied for the position. They got me a teaching job. Um, it was part-time, of course, and I went over there. And after a month, this is probably typical England, after a month the board told me they'd run out of money. Yeah. So in a fit of temper, I stormed out of their club and picked up a copy of the English Rugby League Express. And as and in the... In the paper was the position advertised at Wakefield Wildcats. So I drove straight up to Wakefield and got the job. And then, of course, had uh, quite a few years rugby league, Oldham and Dewsbury and, and, and Wakefield. Yeah. And and th- those days, obviously, a couple of players have come come to my young Benny, Gareth Ellis. There's, there's been a few legends. Willie Poaching, we only had on the show a couple of weeks ago. You got to, you got to meet and coach quite a few good blokes, didn't you? I did. And uh, I started off with that youth team, if you remember, and uh, I think... Seven of them became internationals, and the previous year they'd finished bottom of the league. So, and you'd remember more Gaz Ellis, Benny Westwood, yeah. Tiger Hanforth, who at the moment is building their new grandstand. So, hope he gets paid. I hope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, so, so, so take us on that because this is the this is the stuff that Rick really wants to talk about. How does a rugby league guy that's dealing with hundred plus kilo guys running into each other end up in football? Well, the thing is, I did have a bit of history in football. Um, you know, when you, back in the day in Australia, you played every sport going. So I coached football, I coached rugby league, I coached the girls' netball team. So I was just coaching all the time and playing uh, football and rugby league. So um, so I did have a bit of a background. And at the time, I was coaching Oldham Athletic uh, on the coaching staff there. Uh, sorry, Oldham Ruffyheads, the rugby league team. I was the head coach there. And they had a civic function, and I sat next to the assistant manager of Oldham Athletic. And we got talking, and I lent him a book. And um, about a month later, I hadn't got it back, so I rang him up for it. And he said, come down to the football club. And by the time I'd left his office, he'd offered me a job there to do... I was ready to come home. Well, wow. And he offered me a job to do the pre-season work with uh, Oldham Athletic. And um, so I stayed there. The club did quite well. Um when the pre-season was over, he said, well, you stick around for the year, which I did. Uh, made the playoffs. Then he got offered the job at Crystal Palace and took me with him. So we just kept going. Managers keep getting sacked over there. So mm. um, wherever he went, he took me with him for the first, say, six or seven years. So 
Queen's Park Rangers, Crystal Palace. Um, so there was an adjustment period to, to footballers, but the northern footballers are closer to rugby league than the southern footballers, you know, the people based in London. Mm. So there was two adjustments, one going from rugby league to football and then going from Oldham Athletic to Crystal Palace. Yeah, proper north to, to yeah, London. yeah. 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 What about from a coaching point of view? I mean, you mentioned it earlier, you know, you coach the girls' netball team, you coach rugby league, you coach football. <laughs> Obviously, those are different, there are different skill sets involved in those sports. So, as a coach, what do you do? Well, as, as, as a, well, first thing I did when I, when I accepted the job, it was pre season. So, he just said, I want you to run them and run them and run them. And I was good at that. <laughs> so <laughs> you were. So that didn't change much. Um, but then I kept, and that gave me a bit of breathing space. So I studied the game a lot, the modern game of football. And um, they loved it when I introduced rugby league style training to them. The Northern boys felt it was toughening them up. We still used to do a lot of boxing up at six o'clock in the morning, going for a swim. And they still talk about that. And they were things, it sort of, when I went, particularly when I went to Palace and we got promoted. Uh, to the Premier League, it made the national press. Like Crystal Palace got this super fitness coach from Australia, swimming at six in the morning, doing boxing. Um, but it's stuff isn't of an amateur rugby league player. You've been yeah. doing it for twenty years. Like it was, they thought it was new. Yeah, I remember going to Manchester United um, back in two thousand and ten, doing a uh, little bit of a, a recce there, study tour, and you look at the way that they try, and you think. Hey, geez, you don't really know how to train new blokes. The gym hadn't even been touched. Yeah. Like they don't, they didn't lift any weights, obviously, because they're running all the time. Sort of with, through your time, Johnny. Like, what were the difference with the the rugby league players? Because you got you also got the mix and mingle with them socially compared to the footballers. Like it's comparing Auckland to Waitara. <laughs> it is, mate. And Waitara is the league player. The the that's the league team. <laughs> Auckland's the footballer. Yeah. But, um, mate, they were different. Like on their own, when you, even with a couple of them. Like I've still got a lot of good friends who stay in touch from back in those days. They were just normal blokes. Mm. But when they were in a small group or a group, they had to live up to this football image. So everything was materialistic, you know, the watches, you know. One player there had 45 watches. 45 watches. And, and the cheapest one was worth five grand. He better never have been late to training. Well, he collected them. And he said to me once when I sort of, I, I said, uh, he said, mate, I'm leaving all these. The, the guy I'm talking about is Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. And he could play too. Yeah. Played at Leeds? Yeah, Leeds United, yeah. Well, I was with him at Charlton. And, and a good bloke, and they said I'd have trouble with him, but not an ounce of trouble. No. In the gym early, doing all his stretching and coordination. But he said, these are what I'll leave to my kids. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. Um, I'm spending my money on watches. It's an investment. Yeah. 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 So that's the way he looked at things, you know. And he's a really nice guy. And as I said, not you know, he had no massive ego. You know, he, he was a good bloke. Yeah. He played at all those, you know, I remember him. He had some speed up front. Um, Jimmy Floyd Hesselbank. What what about when you go into the likes of you know you're, you've gone from Crystal Palace, you go up to the Premier League, and then you start to travel and you travel into Anfield and you travel into Manchester United, Man City. What was the like from a, from a player's staff perspective? Because this is really interesting for me compared to you know well waltzing up to to Weldon Road at the Jungle or or in Wakefield, you know, with, with two thousand cars in the in the car park. Well, the thing is. 
Every trip was different, but you you looked after the best of hotels. You, you know, the, your accommodation, sometimes the country manners, yeah. just just outside <laughs> the town. You know, it's a lot love different. Love golf. Yeah, a lot, lot different to Izzy rugby league. Izzy would love to be a footballer. He would be. He would be. <laughs> I've seen he'd love to be a footballer. But they were, you know, and the bus pulls up and there's hundreds of people waiting for everyone to get off the coach and waiting to get on. And there's... Everything was like first class. Even at Oldham Athletic, it was a step up from Super League in rugby league yeah. to Oldham Athletic in the second division. It was a step up. The, even the the coaches themselves, um, the buses, you know, and, and some of Manchester United, you know, they had like almost had bedrooms in them mm. to lie down and have a sleep and uh, massage tables and things like that. And we, when I was at, uh, I can't remember which club it was, but we followed Arsenal around a fair bit. So we got all their... Um, menus and what they were eating and but the fish they were eating was like 15 pounds a piece it was imported the, fi- <laughs> the fish we were eating from from as the supermarket <laughs> oh mate there was so so tell us johnny like what what did you learn you know you've been around for a long time you're obviously in perth now coaching rugby league again but what did you learn through that journey you know you go from aussie end up in you know, what you thought was a job in England then end up at a professional Super League club, back to the EPL, now back to Perth, coaching local rugby league. What's the main thing that you learnt through all that journey? I think it's to appreciate each individual. Every, everyone's different. Like, um, as I said, I'm still good mates with all those footballers and they they got a lot of money behind them. And the big difference between rugby league and in England anyway and football is the car park. Mm. The cars in the car park and and everything's materialistic and um, but I learned that if you if you the way you treat people is the way you get treated yourself whether it be a superstar or if you're just honest and might be regarded as blunt and um, at times and um, abrupt but in the end people appreciate that rather than being two faced yeah let's talk let's talk about some of these players that you you got to hang out with and. And got to coach and got to see play whether they they were playing for you or against you. What are some of the great who and who are some of the great Kiwi players that you saw in your time? Um, I, only, I I did follow a guy into Plymouth Argyle, uh, Rory Fallon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know Rory, but I never met him. He'd sort of finished at the club before I went there. But two players, and I don't know if you know them. Or not. One was uh, Shay Bunce. Mm-hmm. He was at Coventry when I went there, but uh, they released him after about a month. And uh, the other one who who did quite well and played for Celtic was Chris Killen. Yep, that's uh, right. He was from Man City originally too, wasn't he? Yeah, Came he was. Man City ranks. Yeah, well, yeah. he was at Oldham Athletic when I first went there. Um, I'm still in touch with all the... I'll tell you the other thing. It, nearly every manager I worked for had nervous breakdowns. Did they? Yeah. Yeah, so mental health? Mental health was a massive issue with all the managers. I've, without naming names, I've, I've had phone calls on an away trip... Um, been in the hotel room asleep and at four o'clock in the morning getting a phone call and the manager's been out in the footpath outside the hotel crying his eyes out. Just the pressure. Yeah. Just the pressure. Sam El- is it Sam El- El- Allardyce? Allardyce. Yeah. I yeah. met Sam Allardyce at Blackburn when uh, he was coaching there. And well, how, how did you cope with the different nationalities? Because in football you've got loads of European people coming and the Italians... You know, I know that he had he had a, a conversation with me when we were talking about it. He said, look, I just, I just tell them what I want them to do, and if they don't do it, then I ship them out. Is it that blunt? Yeah. I mean, I had three stints at Oldham Athletic, and the third one, 
um, the manager was John Sheridan, um, played for Ireland oh. in the World Cup and that, and he called me into his office. Well, as soon as I got to work, he called me into his office. He said, go into the dressing room and have a look and come straight back here. So I went into the dressing room. Um, there's about six Africans sitting in there with, with suitcases under the, you know, this is at, at, for training. And um, I walked back in and he said, who are they? I said, I haven't got a clue. I don't know who they are. He didn't know his players. Uh, the chairman had brought them over to, brought them <laughs> over. So there's these six guys and, and uh, G- Gerard's brother was in the Oldham team, Anthony Gerard. And one of them was sitting in his seat. And he just went over and grabbed his suitcase and walked outside and threw it in the middle of the field and said, that's my seat, you don't sit there. Go. So already had friction. Yeah. But I used to, rather than like adopt the Allardyce approach, I wanted to get to know them, you know, the Muslims, and I wanted to get to know them all and learn their language, and I wanted to find out more about them than they did about me, and that enabled me to get on good with them. Mm-hmm. And I remember at one club it was... Um, I can't remember which club. I had eight clubs, nine mm. clubs over there. So, And there was um, three or four Af- – once again, training day, three or four Africans, and they had the um, music on. It was about an hour before training started, music and dancing around a bit. And it was that gangster rap with the N-word in it. Right, yeah. And, and I walked over and turned it off. And I just said, no, 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 not that music, not that word. And they said, John, it's all right, it's all right. We're used to it, we do it. And so I said, that, no, and after training, come into my office. So they came in and I said, you might be used to it, might be okay with you, but your grandparents aren't used to it. Mm. They know what that word means. And they never played it again. Yeah, so you had plenty of respect there. When you, when you, you know, we see about all this hooliganism and all that sort of stuff, did you ever encounter any of that, like a way if you're playing in European leagues or what's what's the worst worst bit of traffic you've come a, come across as far as away fans? Well, a couple. Well, strangely enough, the worst traffic we came across was from the home fans. <laughs> Things <laughs> aren't going well. Yeah, we're not weren't going well, and uh, we played a game, and the steward came in and said, "You can't leave. You can't you can't go." It was an away game, but it was our home fans waiting for us. And it was at Coventry, and they said, uh, you can't go yet. Uh, you'll have to wait for an hour till the fans go. They're waiting for you. And they were throwing things at the coach and hurling abuse at players. And So you wait for an hour, and you, you go out, and there's about ten of them left, and four of them are old women you know, <laughs> in their 80s. So you, you I just, can see Rick doing that. It's still throwing brick bats at you, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you spent a lot of your time, and when you transitioned from rugby league to football with Ian Dowie as, yeah. as, as the guy that you followed from Oldham yeah. through Palace and, and Charlton. And he was at, at QPR, but when he got left QPR, Paolo Sosa came in, and you stayed with Paolo Sosa and then followed him to Swansea. Yeah. I mean, he was a uh, Portuguese superstar as a player. Yeah. What was What was it? the difference working under him versus working under Dowie? Well, Ian was very bombastic. You knew before he got into the ground that he was coming. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. he, he sort of stormed in. He was the life of the place. First one to train and last one to go home. Out of all the managers I've worked for, enthusiasm, he'd be 10 out of 10. Mm. And he was probably the one most like a rugby league player coach. You know, if you took him swimming, he'd be in this pool with all the boys and doing the boxing and... Paolo Sousa got to training 10 minutes before it started, but he'd done all his preparation at home the night before, and he had Portuguese um, support staff. Um, 
He struggled a lot with English. Mm. The English players, if they don't like a manager, they don't like him. And he knew straight away, he said, he named the four players, he said, they will turn against me. Because in clubs in England, the, the leadership group control the dressing room. Mm. So when you throw in extra training sessions and the leadership group don't like it and they're old, lazy players who are coming to the end of their career, yeah. um, they rebel against the manager. And he was a good, good manager, very good. Um, he's now coaching Poland, I think. Mm, he is, uh, yeah. Um, and he brought staff in with him who weren't as popular. Like, he got on really good with the young blokes. But he said to me after about a week, do you think I, uh, I'm an ex, I'm speaking good at the way he spoke, I'm speaking it good at the moment, but you think I have a problem with my language because he couldn't speak English? Mm-hmm. And I said, no, just the opposite, because when he was talking and he couldn't think of the words, the players were finishing his sentences off for him, so they were all <laughs> they, listening. They knew. Yeah, they, and he <laughs> talked very soft and they were all leaning forward. And um, and I can remember once telling him, he asked me how he th- how I thought he was going, and I just jokingly said, oh, the boys said, because uh, he always wore nice suits, but bloody trainers with the suits to work, you know, at joggers. And I said, oh, they're talking a bit about your trainers. So he, he, he took me serious. So the next team meeting we had, he came in, with these brand new boots on and a bag with his trainers in. And he held the bag up and he said, you think my trainers are shit? And he, and he threw them in the rubbish bin. <laughs> <laughs> that is outstanding. Now, you mentioned Ian Dowie coming in and being bombastic and enthusiasm, uh, 10 out of 10. Have you watched any of the of the series Welcome to Wrexham uh, that, 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 that's out at the moment? Because Phil Parkinson's a very old school English football yeah. manager who runs is running things at Wrexham. And uh, they show all his team talks. Yeah. And there's F-bombs going off left, right and centre. They have an enthusiasm metre uh, running on that. So every time an F-bomb gets dropped, the enthusiasm metre goes up. Is, is, is that what you meant? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I meant. And uh, just you mentioned Wrexham. I, I don't know how long ago. This is certainly the last 12 months. Mm. But their, um, I believe it was their under-16 team played the women's international team that were playing in the World Cup yeah. and gave them a belt. And I hope no women are listening to this and think I'm misogynist. <laughs> but, uh, I remember seeing that result, yeah, come yeah. through, because it, it was some seven-a-side tournament or something, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that they had in the States and it was a million dollars for first prize. You could enter your well, team. I didn't know the money was involved. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. But no, the, was... the club's fortunes are like a couple of actors have taken over Wrexham, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. The guy that played Deadpool and another guy who's in a show called It's Always Sunny. Uh, it's, yeah, it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. But so many clubs are like that, though. They get somebody in with money. Yeah. They go on this great run, and that guy with money, or, or they realise that they're losing money. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they plummet down into non league football. There's no sort of, unless you're a big club, there's no. Continuity with anything, yeah. Um, I mean, I worked for Flavio Briatore, the Italian. No, that was a, that was an absolute nightmare. I don't know if you've seen the. He put out, they put out a movie, the Four Year Plan. Mm. But we were playing one game, and I think we were drawn at half time in a game we should have won. And he's offside and knocked on the dressing room doors. Ian Dale was giving his talk, and Ian said to me, "Go and go and see who that is." And it was um, um, Gianni Palladini. And he said, Flavio said, take off so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so and put the three reserves on. And I said, Flavio's not in the country. <laughs> he, he's not in the country, Gianni said. Yes, but he ring me and tell me. 
Look, he wasn't even watching the game, like, but he, he wanted these three main men on. Yeah, wow. And he and Dowie put them on with three minutes to go. Just to, just to make a point? Yeah. How, how much life long after that did he and Dowie uh, leave? Probably two weeks. Yeah, yeah I was going to say. That's amazing. And, and they, the, the rich men have, uh, they don't drive cars, they have drivers. Um, so all these owners. And one of them, the guy at um, Crystal Palace, Simon Jordan's driver, was a mixed martial arts champion, like he was the MMA fighter, but a lovely bloke. But Simon Jordan, you know, he's got that... Talk sports show, didn't he? Yeah, and yeah. he's got his own thing. He's interviewing... Uh, a few Australians just recently, and uh, nobody really liked him, but I got really good with him, probably because I was blunt and honest and, you know, and he was he dressed immaculately, had this massive ego and arrogant. That's everybody saw him. But I saw the other side of him. Me and Dowie's um, wife got ill, and uh, Simon Jordan said, you don't take it to the hospital here, you fly it to Germany, I'll pay for it, and things like that. Yeah, right. Yeah, the, th- th- the stories you don't hear. Yeah, no, you, people just love to dislike him, you know. Yeah, John, before you go, you coached Kempe and you coached with Kempe. What was the what what was the transition that you saw? The difference between Kempe the player, Kempe the coach. Well, as a coach, I was thinking about this last night. As a coach, we didn't have that long together, did no, we? No, we didn't. Because I was, I just came in a playing rick, so I was player coach basically. Yeah, I think part of it would be worrying about off-the-field things. But I think the real Tony Kemp I saw on the weekend, that, and I think that's where people don't see him. You know, they saw Tony Kemp, the, the player, and Tony Kemp, the coach, and he'll admit himself, he rocked the boat. And, and you, you'd rock on the boat, somebody gets upset. But when you saw him out at uh, Waitata, you realised who the real Tony Kemp was. And like, he was with real down-to-earth people. And you realise that he was a real down-to-earth person. I, I dare say a lot of people in the UK, particularly at Wakefield, if I told them that story, I think they'd struggle to believe it. Mm. Um, you have to live up to an image to some extent as a player and you, you're seen by the fans. And particularly in football, I fully understood players not wanting to be friendly. Like they go to a restaurant and people would be coming up wanting their autographs and, and uh, then somebody would ring up the... Um, like I can remember with Andy Johnson, who Crystal Palace played for England, went to a restaurant one night and uh, he did not have a drink. I was with him. And he walked out and the press were there and it was a Thursday night or something. And somebody had rang up the, like the, the Sun newspaper and they were just taking all these photos of him coming down the steps. And the headline was, uh, England striker, um, got training tomorrow but couldn't care less, something like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the sun are, are deplorable. Some of the stuff that the sun have done over the years, but that's the pressures that they've got here that we don't have here. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's, uh, and you know, I can remember Briatori. Um, we went to a restaurant, but he he cancelled all the bookings in the restaurant. This is the same night, actually. He told the restaurant owners to cancel all the bookings, and he booked the whole restaurant for just six of us. And we, he had trouble with the waitress there. Something happened. I got something about the coffee. And he said, listen, tomorrow I buy this restaurant and I sack you. Yeah, it's privilege. Yeah, 100%. But That's it's, what you're talking about. Yeah. But even those guys at that level, when you get them one-to-one, they change. It's like they've got this image to live up to. They don't have to. It's, it's part of the job. But with Tony, I'd say that's, that to see him on the weekend, on Saturday night, that was the real Tony Kemp. 
Good stuff, John. Thanks yeah. very much for coming in, mate. I really appreciate you coming in on no, your holiday. No, no, it's just not much of a holiday. But no, listen, <laughs> we're talking about the Bears like they're down to earth, you know, grassroots people. They're my type of people. You the know. White to the Bears. And uh, what's the rugby club you're at at Perth? Um, well, I can't say because I think I'm changing clubs. Oh, right, okay. All right, well, leave <laughs> he's, it. Uh, Johnny, he's been bought. He's been bought. Thanks very much for coming in, mate. Really appreciate your time. Cheers, we, we could keep talking for hours, but uh, we've got to get off to news, so we'll do that shortly.